Throughout the Bible, we have many examples of individuals who have displayed their great love for the Lord and the way that they ministered to Him, the way they tried to serve Him, uh, tried to help Him in different ways. And in the New Testament, I think we probably have more examples of women that minister to the Lord uh, than we do men. Uh, but these examples are all, of course, uh, examples for us. Uh, and there should be encouragements to us and help point the way for us in our efforts to worship and serve the Lord, to show our love for Him and adoration for Him. But there's a woman that I hadn't thought about in a good long while that I'd like to look at this morning. It's found in the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. And we don't know her name. And a lot of individuals in the Bible uh, that we read about, uh, their names are not given to us. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not for various reasons. Uh, this woman's name is not given to us, uh, but I've thought about her and read about her so many times over the years, I feel like I know her. I feel like I've met other sisters in the kingdom of God that made me think of her. And when I read and study her, it makes me think of these other ones that I just mentioned that I've met along life's pathway. This woman immediately is referred to us as a great woman. Now, greatness uh, is measured in different ways by different people. Some people only consider people who are wealthy and well-known and famous, politicians, movie stars, athletes, etc., as being great. But to me, people that are great are people who give of, of themselves to help other people, like first responders, policemen, firemen, the pink ladies at the hospital who volunteer their time without any recompense. Um, people who are always looking to be able to try to help somebody else devote their life in such a manner and way to minister to other people. And in doing this, we find they follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find five words in Acts chapter 10 uh, that summarize the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, words that Peter spoke to Cornelius when he says that the Lord went about doing good. That's five words. He went about doing good. Now I study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I see what that word good means. It means every day of the life of Jesus, he was either teaching, preaching, or doing miracles. He was always helping other people. On a few occasions, people helped him. On a few occasions, people actually ministered to him. But the Lord said in Matthew 20 and 28 that he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Notice two words in this verse. Minister, give. That's what service is all about. It's about ministering. It's about giving. Giving of our finances. Giving of our time. Giving of our gifts and talents. Giving of our labors. Whatever, whatever it may be. Uh, giving involves a lot of things more than just money itself. Of course, that's a very important one. But anyway, here in 2 Kings chapter 4, she's introduced to us as a great woman. Look in verse 8. And it fell on the day that Elisha, this takes place in the lifetime of the prophet Elisha, he's involved in this, fell on the day when Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. Now, she got acquainted with the man of God in some manner, in some way, we're not told how. But nevertheless, she constrained him to stop and to eat bread. The word constraint is a very strong and powerful word. It means that you are very, very persuasive. 
We have examples of that. In Acts chapter 16, you find where the Apostle Paul, under the providential hand of God, has been blessed to preach the gospel to and baptize a woman in the name of Lydia, a seller of purple. Not only her, but also her and her household. After this event takes place, we find where she says to Paul, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord. Now think about that for a second. If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, and I think Paul did because she heard what Paul preached. She attended what Paul preached. She obeyed what Paul preached. She was baptized in the name of the Savior. She made a profession of faith. And all that's important uh, in terms of uh, being faithful to the Lord. If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, she says, come and abide in my house. And she constrained him. Again, that word constrain means to persuade. It means to come cross in a very convincing manner in a very convincing way in Luke chapter 24 after the resurrection of Jesus he's on the road to Emmaus and walking on that road he joins himself up with two disciples the disciples are discussing the events of the day which include him he is their subject matter but their eyes are holding they do not recognize that this is the resurrected Christ and so after a while Jesus joins in the conversation and they look at him, they say, are you a stranger here in these parts? You know, do you not know what's been happening here in the area? Well, he knew it all about it because he's the one they were happening to. They just didn't see it. Their eyes were holding, you see. And so the Lord said, oh, fool, slow of heart to believe, ought not Christ to have suffered and to enter into his glory. And that's an important principle. We have sufferings in this world, but glory will follow. Sufferings and glory go together. It's always in this order. Sufferings first and then glory. Romans 8.18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in you. So we find um, the sufferings of Christ are being discussed. And then Christ responds. And then they recognize and realize who he was. And the Bible says as uh, the day was far spent, and evening was upon them. They came to a certain point, and Jesus made as if he was going to go a little further. But the Bible says they constrained him to come into the house. And so he did. And when he was there, he took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. Notice three B's. Bread, blessed, and broke. Jesus took the bread, he blessed the bread, and he broke the bread. And when he did that, it says their eyes were opened, and then Jesus vanished out of their sight, and they said, Did not our hearts burn within us while he was yet with us? Now, I want you to notice what would they have missed had they not constrained the Lord Jesus Christ to enter into their house. They'd have missed that wonderful blessing, wouldn't they? They'd have missed the blessing of understanding, their eyes being opened, had they not constrained him. What would Jesus have done had they not constrained him? Well, I'm persuaded he'd have just went on his journey. He'd have just went on his way. I'm afraid that I've let the Lord go too many times on his way in my life without constraining him to come in. Constrain him to come into our assembly every time we meet together. Whether it's this morning or this coming weekend, we need to constrain him with our prayers to come and meet with us in his house. If he's not here, what will we miss? What makes the difference between a meeting and a good meeting? It's the presence of Jesus. And by the way, I like to tell people about great meetings. We didn't just have a good meeting Friday night and Saturday, all day Saturday down there. We had a great meeting. And so I always shoot for the great. And I will hope the Lord will bless us with a great meeting this morning. 
Hope the Lord will bless us with the great meetings this coming weekend. Uh, there's a difference between good and great. And I want great. What about you? We got a great God. Jeremiah 33 3 says, Call upon me and I'll show thee great and mighty things. We got a great and mighty God. He can show us great and mighty things. But he doesn't necessarily show us great and mighty things unless we constrain him, unless we call upon him. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 14, Paul says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. The love of Christ constraineth us. Now, when you're born of the Spirit of God, God's love is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost. And that love is constraining. When you come here and hear about the depth of God's love, when you come here and feel God's love, when you come here and can see the manifested love of the Lord Jesus Christ, that should have a constraining influence on us. It should constrain us to be here in the house of God. It should constrain us to try to live a godly life. It should constrain us uh, to try to be obedient to the laws of the Lord Jesus Christ and to walk in his footsteps in this world here. The love of Christ constraineth us. That love is just not in our hearts today and not in our hearts tomorrow. It always abides in our hearts. But there are times we feel it stronger than others. That usually depends upon us, uh, conditions upon us desiring to feel that great love. So the love of Christ constraineth us. It's a persuading influence in our life, is it not? Were it not for the constraining love of Christ, you wouldn't be here this morning. You'd be somewhere else. Uh, but the constraining love of Christ has brought you to your seat, to your place in this house, in his house, to meet with him and to meet with one another. This woman constrained Elisha the prophet, and he, it says as oft as he came by, then he stopped and ate bread. Now, we're going to find this woman was great in her hospitality to this man. We'll see more of it in just a few minutes. But also, I believe she was great in her in the fact that she was a woman of opportunity. In Galatians 6, 9, Paul says, we have, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, but especially the household of faith. Now, I really believe we have opportunity daily. I think we have opportunity daily. And there are some times that we have opportunity, maybe more than others, but I believe if we're looking for it, and if our eyes are open, there shouldn't a day pass that we don't see an opportunity to help someone, an opportunity to reach out to someone. This woman had the opportunity. She took advantage of it. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, that's all categories of men, all classifications of men, uh, and especially, especially the household of faith, which identifies you, you see. So she had opportunity. In the 8th chapter of uh, Luke, in the opening verses, you're going to read about some women over here. And some of them are named for us. One of them is Mary Magdalene. But there's one thing that describes all these women. The women on consideration here had evil spirits and infirmities taken away from them by the Lord Jesus Christ. Then specifically, we're told about Mary Magdalene, who had seven devils taken out of her. Uh, every time you read about Mary Magdalene, we find that usually is uh, attached to her name, the one who had seven devils taken out of her. You have Mary Magdalene, you have a woman named Susanna, you have a woman named Hosanna, and it says, and many others, and many others ministered unto him of their substance. Now we're talking about some women here, some names are given and some are not. I don't know how many many is right here, 
okay? But if you're reading the 27th chapter of Matthew, when the Lord Jesus Christ is being crucified, you're going to find a number of supernatural events taking place. But one of them is the fact that the centurion said that this man on the cross, surely he was the Son of God. And then the next verse says, And many women which followed him from Galilee, ministering him along the way, stood afar off. These same women are following him day by day, step by step, and they're ministering unto him of their substance. They had opportunity, they had means, and he put the two together. And a great example for us, is it not? So we have a woman here who has opportunity, and we see her being given to hospitality. Now this woman wants to take it a step further. People call this trouble. People just call it a wonderful opportunity to obtain a blessing. Depends on how you look at it. And I want you to notice how she's going to bring somebody into the picture that's in the background of this entire story, and that's her husband. Notice the wording here in verse 9. Uh, and she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passes by us continually. Now let me pause here. As far as I know, this is the only man in the scripture, Elisha the prophet, that is also identified as the man of God. He's spoken of twice in this chapter as Elisha, and in between six times as the man of God. She says, I perceive that this man is a holy man of God. She's great in her perception, isn't she? Now, how does she know he was a holy man of God? Well, uh, Elisha must have conducted himself as a holy man of God. She must have heard his conversation. Obviously, she did. They interacted, no doubt about that. They had discussions. Perhaps she observed him praying. Perhaps she observed him in his study and meditations, in his conduct. Anyway, when it was all said and done, she says, I perceive that this is a holy man of God. Just not a man of God, but a holy man of God. Minister of the gospel need to recognize eyes are always upon them. And perceptions are going to take place. And comments are going to be made. And so she says, I perceive this is a holy man of God. This is what she says to her husband. Husband doesn't say this to her. She says this to her husband. Now, there's no record in this chapter where her husband ever has a conversation with Elisha. Never a time he has a conversation with Elisha. It's all about her and the prophet Elisha. But she does not work independently of her husband. That's where a lot of marriages get off track is when one or the other start working independently of the other. I see marriage just like two hands clasped together. That's why the Bible says, For this call shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. That's solid. That's, that's what I call super glue. Super glue. You're to cleave one to another. That nothing should separate you. Now, she's not going to work independent of her husband, although her husband does not have near the interest and what she has an interest in is she does. So she says, let us. She said unto her husband, Behold, now perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber. I pray thee on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us, that he shall turn in thither. We notice the expression, let us, three different times in this verse. When you go to the book of Hebrews, 
book of Hebrews has 13 chapters in it. And there's a word that occurs 13 times. That's the word better. That's what the book of Hebrews is known as, is a book of better things, comparing the Lord Jesus Christ to what the Jews were accustomed to in the Old Testament day. And Christ is better. But there's another two-word expression that occurs 13 times, and that's the expression, let us. If you like lettuce, you will like Hebrews, okay? Let us. Uh, just a couple familiar ones. Hebrews 4, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Seeing that we have a high priest, such a high priest, a great high priest that's passed into the heavens, let us hold fast our profession. Hebrews 4, let us enter into uh, the land of rest. And again, there's 13 of these, let us, in the book of Hebrews. Here's three in the Old Testament here. This woman says, let us build him. It's not his suggestion. It's not his idea. It's not his thought. But she's not going to work independently of him. She's going to work with him. And we see how the Lord, I believe, providentially blessed her because this man doesn't show any interest whatsoever uh, in Elisha the prophet, the things of the prophet, but she does. And she's observed that he's a holy man of God, and she wants to take it a step further. This is going to involve expense. They're going to build something. That involves expense. That's going to involve some effort, some labor. It's going to involve some time. This, to me, is what Peter's talking about in 2 Peter 3.18, the last thing Peter writes by divine inspiration. He says, let us grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. As you grow in grace and knowledge of the truth, the more you're going to want to do, the more you're going to want to give, the more you're going to want to minister, the more you're going to want to help in one way or another. This woman sees an opportunity to do even more, to help this man of God and to minister unto him. She is certainly great in the fact that she's a woman of discernment, a woman of perception. She is great from the standpoint that she sees opportunity and utilizes it. She's great from the standpoint that she's going to be given to hospitality. Now, in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 13, Paul says that we're to be given to hospitality. When you read the word given, G-I-V-E-N, that means that you uh, are in, heavily involved in something. Just like in a qualification of a minister and also a deacon, uh, they're not to be given to much wine. That means they're not to be under the control of alcohol, okay? They're not to be under the control of it, but they're to be in control of it, all right? Now, they're to be given to hospitality, which means they're involved in this, they're in control of this, and to be given to it. In 1 Peter 4, 9, the apostle Peter says, use hospitality one to another without grudgingly. That verse tells me that I can do the right thing for the wrong reason. That tells me I can do the right thing without the right motive. It's just like 2 Corinthians 9, 7, where he says, let every one of you, and we let every one of you so purpose in your heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly, not a necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, you got, as I've told you before, you got three different kind of givers in this. You got the mad giver, you got the sad giver, and you got the cheerful giver. Now, if you give out of necessity, he says, give not out of necessity, or grudgingly. Have you ever given grudgingly? You know it was the right thing to do, but your heart really wasn't in it. Don't give out of necessity because you feel like it's law. You got to do it, but you're going to do it because you want to do it, right? That's where cheerfulness comes from. 
When you do it because you want to do it, when you do it because the Lord, when you see the example of the giving of the Lord, uh, then that's when you really open up the pocketbook and, and really dig down deep, right? That's when you do all of that. So don't give grudgingly or necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You got a mad giver, you got a sad giver, and you got a cheerful giver. If you say that real fast, you'll get to saying liver instead of giver. I guarantee you will. <laughs> Just try to say that real fast, and you'll come up gliver. Instead of giver, you'll wind up saying gliver. But anyway, uh, giver is the right word, okay? So this woman is given to her hospitality here. She's, she's wanting to help. She's going to go to the extra expense, the extra effort, the extra labor involved in this, but she doesn't do it separate and independently of her husband. She goes to him, and obviously he must be in agreement with it because that's exactly what they do. This uh, little chamber they build on the side of this house is going to have four things in it. It's going to have a bed. It's going to have a table. It's going to have a chair. It's going to have a candlestick. And those represent the necessities of life. When you set up shop, when you set up uh, uh, housekeeping, I suppose, you need a table and a chair, don't you? And you need some light in the dwelling. And uh, you need a bed to lay down and rest on. But when you think about those four things, I think even in the house of God in a, spirit, in a spiritual sense, they come into play. When I think about sitting on that chair, I think sometimes of Mary in Luke chapter 10, when the Lord's in the household of Mary and Martha, Martha's coming about with much serving. Where is Mary? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus to hear his word. When you read the life of Mary, she's always sitting. There's about three different references to Mary in the Gospels, and she's always at the feet of Jesus. Every single time she's at the feet of Jesus, hearing his word, anointing his body, anointing his feet, ministering unto him. She's always at the feet of Jesus. Now, the table, obviously, uh, I think here is something that represents fellowship. You know, the Lord said in Luke chapter 22, verse 39 and 40, he said, and ye shall set it as, as my father, I, as my father has given unto me a kingdom, so I give unto you a kingdom, and you shall set it, the, the, the table in my father's kingdom, and we will eat together. It's a picture of fellowshipping with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the candlestick, we certainly need light, and I believe that's a picture of testimony. Uh, the Lord's people have a testimony, and they need to be willing to give that testimony. And a testimony is only going to be as good as what, as what people think about you. Uh, if you don't have lived in the right way in front of them, your testimony means nothing. And so if you're going to have an effective testimony, people are going to have to have respect for you and have respect for the life you live. And they will observe your life. If you go to church and you are a professed Christian, they will observe your life uh, under a microscope. And so we want to have a good testimony, do we not? And then, um, you know, we, the Bible emphasizes strongly that there is a wonderful rest in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a wonderful rest. My soul always feels more refreshed and more rested uh, when I leave the house of God than it does before I get here. And that's the reason I go to bed at night, to so get a good night's sleep, and in the morning you get up and you say, oh, I feel really rested. You know, at least I hopefully you do. And uh, I feel fresh, I feel rested. You got renewed, you got re-energized. Uh, that's why you have to lay down and rest and sleep. Just don't overdo it. It's one of three things that will ruin your life if you're not careful, if you oversleep, if you overeat, if you overspend. 
And a lot of God's people do at least one or two of those, if not all three of them. They oversleep, they overeat, and they overspend. Now, I know none of you are guilty of any of those, but there are people in this life that's guilty of those three things, overspending, overeating, and, and over whatever I said, uh, sleeping, uh, eating, and spending, okay? Do not do that. Do not do that. Right now, uh, Karen has reached the age... <laughs> where she's hard for her to over, oversleep. <laughs> I hadn't got there yet, but I'm, uh, you know, anyway, I'll get, I, I better get off of that. Anyhow, we've <laughs> I, I'm guilty of the overeating. Okay, I, I'll go ahead and take credit for that. Okay. <laughs> anyway, she builds these things here for him. These are important things for him. These are going to be a great blessing for him. It's going to uh, be a great help for him, and she, I believe, has done this very cheerfully. And notice verse 11. It fell on the day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And lay there. He's not oversleeping, I can tell you that. He's laying there, and he's not even sleeping. He's meditating. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto her, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. He didn't go on beyond the notice of Elisha the prophet. He's in the chamber. He's laying there on the bed. Obviously, by his next statement, he's been thinking about some things. He's been meditating about some things. Now, sometimes you see somebody meditating. It's hard to know if they're meditating or daydreaming. It's hard to tell the difference sometimes, a person daydreaming or meditating. This man's not daydreaming here. He's meditating. He's considering. He says, you have really taken care of us. He says, all this. He didn't ask for it. She did it out of her own heart. She did it because she wanted to. And he doesn't uh, overlook that fact. And he doesn't take her for granted. But he wants to show his appreciation for that. Now, the Lord has blessed me over the years uh, with people who have helped me in different manners and different ways. It never has made me feel important, in, thankfully. It never has made me feel like I deserved it because I know I did not. You know how it usually makes me feel, and I hope it always will, when somebody helps me that was uncalled for, wasn't asked for or anything, it makes me want to do just a little bit better. It makes me want to dig a little deeper. It wants me to study a little harder. He wants me to try to apply myself uh, to greater depths and greater measures than I ever have before in my life. That's how it affects me. And so this man of God is not going to overlook the fact that what she's done for him has been very gracious, very kind. She's shown great hospitality unto him. She's done things for him that I'm sure he probably thought, I don't know why she would go to all this extra time, all this extra effort, all this extra expense to help me, but she did. And so he's laying on the, in the chamber on his bed, and he's thinking about these very things. He says, call her here. So Gehazi goes and gets her. And he said, behold, thou hast been careful for us, not just for me, but for my servant, Gehazi. With all this care, you built me a chamber. You put a table here. You put a chair here. You put a candlestick here. What has been done for thee? Wouldst thou be spoken of to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. He said, you want me to talk, talk to the captain of the host about you? 
You want me to make mention of you to the higher-ups, to the officials, you know, on your behalf? What's her response? Her response is one of contentment. She says, I dwell among my own people. She's not wanting a promotion. She's not wanting advancement. She's not wanting recognition. She's not wanting commendation. She said, I dwell among my own people. She's a great example of the importance of contentment. In the book of um, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6, Paul writes to Timothy. He says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, the natural man is not godly, okay? Uh, before a person is born of the Spirit of God, that person is not godly. Uh, godliness is that which is inside that God has worked in, and then we're able to work it out. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, let us live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, the Spirit of God will teach you that. The Spirit of God inside your soul, inside your heart, will teach you that you should not live ungodly, but you should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. And Paul says, Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment is that which is on the inside. People who try to find happiness with material possessions are always going to come up short. People that try to find comfort and peace with material substance and possessions, uh, they're going to be sadly disappointed. They're not going to be happy. They're not going to have the comfort and peace they might be seeking for because that is not where it's at. God's with contentment, he says, is great gain, great benefit. He says, uh, for we came in this world with nothing, and we shall go out with nothing. <laughs> surprise, surprise, right? When we come in this world, we come in this world without a stitch of clothes on. <laughs> when we go out of this world, at least we are clothed, but that's all we're going to have on us to take with us, you know. Uh, when we leave this world, and Paul says, we come in this world with nothing, we shall leave with nothing. Therefore, uh, he says, uh, having food and raiment, let us be content. Contentment. You know, this question's been asked many times down through the ages, especially of somebody wealthy. When they die, they say, how much did he leave? And the answer is always the same for everybody. There's not different answers. The answer is, he left everything. That's the answer. Whether he's poor, whether he's rich, he left everything. Didn't take anything with him. A lot of people know the price of everything and the value of nothing. We're, material possessions are pushed on us all the time through TV commercials. You'll see a commercial, think you need it, you hadn't even thought about it until the commercial said you need it. Now all of a sudden you need it. And then you respond, and that's why <laughs> people grab the credit card and away they go. And they're getting something they needed. They didn't know they needed it until the commercial told them they needed it. The company told them. When the company told them that, they said, well, you know, I need this. People have a hard time to stay between needs and wants. Reminds me of a story where this, uh, there was a Quaker. And, you know, you know, kind of the lifestyle of Quakers. And uh, a new neighbor moved in. It was very clear this new neighbor was very wealthy. This new neighbor was moving in very expensive furnishings. One thing and another. So finally, after a while, the Quaker went over and introduced himself and told him who he was and all and welcomed him to the community. He said, now, I just want to let you know, 
If any time you ever have a need of anything, come over to my house and I'll tell you how you can get along without it. <laughs> I'll tell you how to get along without it. Now, we're going to find where this woman's very content. She's not looking for a pat on the back. She's not looking for a reward. She just did what she wanted to do. She did what she thought she ought to do, what she couldn't do. She's content in her status, her status right where she's at. But I do appreciate the attitude of Elisha, don't you? Elisha sees all she's done for him, and now he would like to try to do something for her in return. And so she said, I dwell among my own people. Verse 14, and he said, what then is to be done for her? What, what can be done for her? Well, then Gehazi tells him, says, verily she hath no child and her husband's old. She didn't have a child. Her husband's old, so there's no prospects of having any children. Here's what Elisha says. Verse 16, he says, call her. She came, stood at the door, and he said, about this season, according to the time of life, Thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. <laughs> now this is just uh, news she wasn't expecting. This is good, too, good news to be true. Uh, apparently she, it, it sounds like to me, perhaps she had desired a child, wanted a child. She's had no child. Her husband is old. There's no realistic prospects. They're going to have a child. But she see in the 10th chapter in the book of Matthew, the last verse says, He that receiveth a prophet, the name of a prophet, shall receive a prophet's reward. She has received a prophet, the name of a prophet, and now she's going to be greatly rewarded when I think one of the greatest rewards you can have in life, and that is a child. That's what Psalms 127 says. Man have his quiver full of them. Happy is the man have his quiver full of them. Children are a heritage of the Lord. The word heritage means inheritance. That's kind of interesting to me. They're an inheritance, yet they get the inheritance. <laughs> but they're an inheritance to us, a gift from God to us. And so she's going to have a child. She, she thinks this is just too good to be true. I like to get that kind of news, don't you? You know, I asked somebody the other day, called me up and said, you want to hear some good news? And I said, really? you asking me, do I want to hear some good news? <laughs> Who doesn't want to hear good news? <laughs> Somebody say, I got good news and bad news. Which you want to hear first? Always the bad news first. Always. Who wants to be lifted up only to crash? So give me down and then pull me up, right? Well, this news is too good to be true for her. Well, we notice what, what happens. A woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha said unto her, according to the time of life, just like Elisha said. Now, obviously, Elisha could not have done this on his own. Obviously, Elisha did not know this on his own. Obviously, the Lord revealed to Elisha what to say to this woman, and the Lord blessed this woman to conceive and to bring forth a child just like Elisha said. And when the child was grown, and this is the part of the story that I say sometimes, if the story ended here, everybody would be happy, right? It'd be a storybook ending. But you know, life is not about storybook endings. You know that by now, right? <laughs> it just isn't. Thankfully, there are some good things that happen and some good endings, but 
the child was grown. Some time has gone by. It fell on the day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head. Now, most people think he's experienced a stroke probably. My head, my head. And he said to a lad, carry him to his mother. Some things a father can't do that a mother can. That's just all there is to it. It's just something about a mother's love, about a mother's touch. That the father just, just can't compare to it, right? I'm thinking of experience when the boys, the children were little. And I'd be at home maybe when they get off the school bus. And they'd come running to the front door. And I'd open up the door and I'd open it up. And they'd just fly right by me. Where's mama? <laughs> I'm the one who opened the door. I'm the first one here. <laughs> Oh, his son David one time, he, he has had, had surgery. He, he'd cut himself, on his chin, I believe, and they had an emergency room. And, and the whole time he was, uh, uh, I was trying to hold his hand. And he was, you know, uh, I was trying to help him the best I could. And when it was all over with, it was all over with, and they, you know, undone everything, whatever, he just reached out and wanted to know where mother was. I'm thinking, well, what about me? <laughs> it's just something about a mother that's special. It can't be replaced. Father can do the best he can. When it comes down to it, he's no competition. <laughs> the mother's love, the mother's embrace, the mother's touch is special. And he said to his father, my head, my head, he said to the lad, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees and died and she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out and she called unto her husband this is the second time and said send me I pray thee one of the young men and one of the asses that I may run to the man of God and come again she's got the right idea she's got the right plan she needs to talk to the man of God she's had conversations with the man of God she's had talks with the man of God She's learned a lot of things, no doubt about God from the man of God. And now, something very serious has happened to her in her life. This child she thought she would never have, she's had for a few years now. I don't know how many, but for a few years. Now he dies. She doesn't panic. She don't wring her hands in despair. She takes him up and lays him on the bed of the man of God. And then she says, send me to where the man of God is. She's wanting to hear more about God. That's what she wants to know. She's not putting her confidence in the man, but she wants to go to the man of God. And he said, Wherefore will thou go to him today? Her husband don't even understand. It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. It's not the usual days you meet with the man of God for worship. And she said, It shall be well. I, I love her answer here. And there she gives a little bit later on. Then she sat on an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. Don't slow down for me. In other words, I said, this is urgent. You, you go fast, unless I tell you different. You go fast as you can. And she went and came into the man of God, to Mount Carmel. It came to pass when the man of God saw her far off, that he said to Gehazi, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say to her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. Notice her answers to all three questions. Is it well with you? Yes. Is it well with your husband? Yes. 
Is it well with a child? Yes. The child is dead. Her heart is sorrowful. Her heart is broken. But her answer, it is well. When your eyes are on the Lord and not the circumstances of life, whatever you're encountering, whatever you see, whatever the circumstances are, you can say, it is well. You know the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. You know the Lord's grace is sufficient for you. You know that. You've heard that. You've read that. You've heard it preached to you. You know the Lord's grace is totally sufficient to carry you through the trial, through the tribulation, through the storm. If you can say it is well, that's the sign of a mature Christian. The answer to all three questions was the same. It is well. When she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. Because he came near to thrust her away, and the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. Then she said, Did not I desire, son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? And he said unto Gehazi, Gird up thy loins, and take my staff in thine hand, and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. If any salute thee, answer him not again. And lay my staff upon the face of the child. Now notice what the woman said. And the woman of the child said, As the Lord liveth, and as my soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. She didn't come for the servant, she came for the man. She didn't come for the servant, she came for the man of God. She wasn't going back with the servant. She wasn't going back at all unless she went back with the man of God. Symbolizing, I think, you know, the blessings of God, the presence of God. To see the results of the promises of God. She wasn't going back in any other way. This woman is great in her persistence. This woman is great in her faithfulness and her faith. She wasn't going to take that. And Gehazi went on and done like the man of God said. But when Elisha was coming to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in therefore and shut the door upon them twain, upon the two of them, and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth, his eyes upon his eyes, his hands upon his hands. He stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked to the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him and the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite. So he called her and when she came into him, he said, take up thy son. And she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. This woman is one of two women that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35. In this chapter on the heroes of faith, it says women receive their dead, raised back to life again. 
women, plural. You find in 1 Kings chapter 17 in the life of Elijah, there was a woman who had her son restored back to her. And here in 2 Kings chapter 4, you're going to find this woman has her son returned and received back unto her, right? It says, women by faith, by faith, women receive their dead, raised back to life again. This woman didn't wring her hands in despair. This woman didn't panic. This woman did what she should have done. She went to the man of God. She wasn't coming back without the man of God. The man of God came back and he prayed and God answered a prayer and her son was restored back to her again. Now you can't guarantee results like this in every case, obviously. But this teaches us a lesson today, brother, that faithfulness has its rewards. Without faith it's impossible to please God, but he that comes to God must believe that he is and has rewarded them that diligently seek him. Here's a woman great in her opportunity, great in her perception, great in her uh, hospitality, great in her faith, great in her faithfulness, uh, a great uh, in so many different ways. And that's why she's identified right off the bat as a great woman. Don't know her name, never met her, but I feel like I know her. <laughs> My good dear friend, Elder Herman Griffin, Passed away a few weeks ago. I called and talked to his wife, his widow, a few days ago, Sister Catherine. I could tell by the strength of her voice that the Lord had strengthened her. I could tell by her conversation that the Lord had blessed her. I could tell, she's a, she's, she's a woman of great faith, by the way, this woman here is. She's 89 years old. And about 30 years plus ago, she was diagnosed with cancer and given six months to live. With 30 years down the road, she's still going strong. Things like that will boost your faith, won't it? But I could tell she'd been reconciled. I could tell that the Lord had not departed from her. I could tell that the Lord was with her and had been with her. Oh, she expressed how lonely she was. She expressed it was different. She expressed how she'd, they'd been married for 70 years. She got out of high school. Her and Brother Herman got married. Been together ever since for 70 years. And now part of her is gone. But the Lord knows how to fill up the void. The Lord knows how to take care of you. And this woman right here, she had the answer. It is well. 